0: Would you pray with me before we study these words together? Lord God, as we dive into your word together now, we pray that you might do what we have read there and what we see at the end of 2 Peter, grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We pray that we might not be people who are stagnant in our faith, but through our time in in your word this morning, that we might grow that we might be challenged, and that we might also be encouraged to continue growing. We thank you for the work that you have done. And with joyful anticipation, we pray longingly for the work that you will continue to do in us as we are encouraged by this passage this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So today, as I have said a few times, we are starting a new series on 2 Peter Now, you might be wondering, why to Peter? As you've probably heard in in prayer meetings and in our our times of corporate prayer, we we have a lot of things going on. We have a lot of things going on in our denomination. Now, I think every single day or week, we also have a lot of things that happen in our lives. We simply face a lot of things. Sometimes they can be challenges. And sometimes we look at things that just seem insurmountable. How could we ever get through this? Sometimes it feels as if the struggle is just too much. So we're looking at 2 Peter because God calls us here to grow. If we make it to the end of the day, and say, we have made it to the end of the day. That is by God's grace. And sometimes it may feel as if all we do is simply hang in there day after day after day. As we read in Romans 5, 3 to 5, as we see all through this letter, there's not only surviving the day, but there is spiritual growth that takes place in the life of the believer. And this is to be an encouragement to us. No matter what happens in the future... No matter what happens today, no matter what happens on the drive home, no matter what happens at any point in time, we are called to grow. There is a call to growth given to God's people here this morning. Now, I was jokingly asked last week to perhaps not use a lot of alliteration after I was given a book. And I thought, I need to get back to using alliteration in my sermon titles so this morning we've got consistent continuance, looking at the first seven verses of 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter, and next week, actually I'll leave that for next week, but this morning we, 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 we're going to see two things, we do see one, that as Christians we are called, there is a confirmation of the call that God has placed in our lives. It's not a made up thing, Peter here confirms that we are called, and secondly we see the qualities of a Christian. Now, before we get into those things, it's worth figuring out some of the base level stuff about a book in the Bible. Now, part of the reason that matters is to know whether the author is a credible source and all those sorts of things. Is this really God's inspired word? And sometimes the introductory parts, particularly the first verse which we see here today, might seem boring. I know I've said that about pretty much every epistle we've looked at but it actually does encourage us that this is something to listen to and to pay attention to. To figure out who wrote this book of the Bible does actually matter. Simon Peter. We read it there, the first two words. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, unsurprisingly, there's contention about which Simon Peter this might be talking about. Who is this actually talking about here? Is it actually the apostle or is it somebody assuming the, the, the pen name of the apostle? What's really going on here? Did one of Jesus' 12 disciples, who, who were the apostles, actually write this letter? Now, I think that we, we look at this and I think we have confidence that this was actually Simon Peter who wrote this. And if you look at the uh, the Greek, the, uh, the, the theologian Douglas Moose says that, Uh, In the Greek it's actually Simeon Peter, which is a very personal and very exact transliteration of the the very common at the the time Hebrew name Simon. He's using a very, very personal reference of himself, assuming the church will know who he is. We have confidence right from the start that Simon Peter, the apostle, actually is the author of this letter. Now that might seem like a bit of a, a silly point to make, But if it wasn't Simon Peter, the Apostle, who wrote this, we should pay no attention to it. We have confidence this was the Apostle from the beginning. He's an Apostle. A man with incredible standing in God's church. This book to growth, calling us to grow, calling us to keep growing in the Lord is not one of that distant, cold, clinical coach or, or sergeant that you might see in the army who yells at his troops but never really associates with his troops. There's a warmth to this letter. There is a regard that Peter has for the believers that he's writing to. He cares for them as a good shepherd does. We, we, we see, particularly in chapter 2, there were issues with, with false teachings going on but he still does not look down on these people he's writing to. He talks about them having obtained, like precious faith, with us. With us, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He is acknowledging here that because of the work that God has done, the people he is writing to, stand alongside even the apostle in God. And Peter only desires good for the believers who will read this letter. He wants grace and peace to be multiplied to them. Grace and peace to be multiplied, but not in a wishy-washy way. Grace and peace multiplied based on the knowledge of God. As we see in both verse, chapter, one, verse, chapter 1, verse 3, and also chapter 3, verse 18, this book is bookended by growth. I'm going to say that a few times this morning. It's about growth. We should never, ever reach a point of thinking that we have arrived in our faith. We should never, ever reach a point of thinking we know enough, or we have done enough in our faith, but we should always keep pressing for more. That's what this is about. Consistent, continued Growth. So having said that, we look then at one of the first things we see in this letter, the confirmation of our call. As we look at this first point, we'll primarily be focusing on verses 3 and 4. But As we do this, note the word knowledge keeps popping up and has popped up from verse 2. Knowledge is the basis of the increase of grace and peace and is central to the coming verses. This morning we're just looking at verses 1 to 7. But verses 3 to 11 are all underscored by knowledge that keeps coming up. Which is why we read all 11 verses this morning. So let's look at verses 3 and 4. How does this knowledge and growth begin to take place? This is what Peter says. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now note quickly there in verse 3. Peter says his divine power, what God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he goes on the list of things there. The reason we're looking at the word us in there is worth looking at. Because if this is Peter, an apostle, writing this, is he referring there to the us as just being the apostles or is us being all believers? But that changes how we read this and changes how we apply it to our lives. Some commentators say it's just the apostles. Others say that it's most likely, given the, the context and the message presented, that Peter is talking about all believers here. That all believers have, by God's divine power, been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I think this second option of being All believers included in the us there is what Peter's talking about here. This is for all believers. For anyone who has faith in Christ, this is for us. And if you look at verses 3 and 4, that is an amazing, powerful, awesome declaration of the gospel and its work. Sometimes we might get comfortable in knowing that we're saved by grace through faith. Sometimes we might get comfortable in knowing what Christ accomplished on the cross. But we need to be reminded of these things. Read those words in verses 3 and 4. The the work that God has done. This is a declaration that our hearts need. You get to chapter 2 of this letter. And Peter begins to address false teachers, threats that come in, things that that look good on the surface but in reality lead people far from Christ. We need to keep coming back to the awesome work of God. Don't think you know it. Remind yourself of it. Remind yourself of his divine power. Remind yourself that his divine power has given to you all things pertaining to life and godliness. Remind yourself that he has called us to glory, by, by glory and virtue. Remind yourself of the exceedingly great promises that he has given. That we, broken, sinful people who sometimes fall off the apple cart might be partakers in the divine nature because we have escaped the corruption in the world that is here by lust. This is is encouraging. And we must keep this in all of its fullness as Peter writes it here. As we go through things in life, as we face day-to-day events, I think we all know the temptation is sometimes to, to water down the words of Scripture, to begin to water down the gospel that it better suits us in our context. When we do that, we perhaps begin to, to doubt the work that God has done. Because we're no longer seeing God's word in all of its glory, we're seeing it in light of our context. Us, me, my situation begin to become more important than God. But what Peter says here is that God is more important than us, and God has done an amazing work for us and is doing an amazing work in us we do face that temptation to to, to water the gospel down but please don't and I'm saying that to myself as well because again when we water it down it causes doubt doubt of the work that God has done doubt that we are good enough for God Sometimes those doubts are caused because of issues or circumstances in our life. Maybe they're caused by circumstances or the influence of somebody in our life, the influence of somebody in our life that causes us to doubt. Perhaps for, for you those doubts are, are big. Perhaps those doubts are, are just a little niggle. Some of us may not even be Facing doubts, and if that's you, praise God. Praise God. But for any of us who struggle, whether a lot or a little, with doubts about God and our place with him, whether we really are saved, that assurance of faith stuff, we're looking at our Bible studies, Peter says it's not about you, it's about God. You did not drag yourself into heaven. God brought you into heaven by his grace. the faith that we have must revolve around God. God must be the start and the end of our faith. And he has granted us knowledge pertaining to life and godliness. Peter talks in the next verse, which we've read a few times now, about this really being a contrast to the corruption of, we lived in prior to God calling us to be his own. Now, Peter knows that there will be people who read this letter who battle, who will at times struggle to make heads or tails of their faith. Maybe today some of us are struggling in the the exact same ways. When we struggle in our faith, look to God from the beginning of this letter, all about growing. It's not about what we can do, it's about God. God. We have every assurance guaranteed to us. At the end of verse 3, Peter tells us we have been called to his own glory and excellence. Those words are incredible on their own, and they're remarkably similar to what Peter says in chapter 1 Peter 1, verse 21. He goes on to say there that God the Father has glorified and exalted Christ And as we look to God, as we look to the work of Christ, we know that Christ, as evidenced by many witnesses, didn't just die on the cross, but was raised back to life. And that he ascended into heaven, that we can trust those words that he is seated at his Father's right hand in glory. And that same thing that's happened to Christ it is happening to us, that we are God's and we belong in glory with him. We can, from the beginning of this letter, have confidence we are God's. As we have confidence we are God's, we have confidence to keep living with our faith as a foundational and fundamental element of every single thing we do. In verses 3 and 4, Peter makes it abundantly clear that we really are God's. There is glory waiting for us? We are His and He is ours. And then Peter begins to talk in verses 5 and 7, 5 to 7, rather, about the qualities that are present in the life of the Christian. And at this point, we really begin to see what this call to growth in the knowledge of Christ looks like. In verses 5 and 5 to 7, there is a bit of work for us to do. As active verbs here, add or as other translations might say, supplement your faith. Peter is basically calling us to go to the spiritual gym. We are called to get spiritually buffed in this part here. But have you ever made a commitment to go to the gym or work out, exercise? Have you ever struggled to keep that commitment to work out and exercise? Sometimes we need motivation before we can actually do it. But you know what? Peter, rather than just saying growing God, has actually given us motivation in verses 3 and 4 already. We are God's. We are His. Our call to be His children is confirmed. Yes, there is some work for us to do. But we are gods. We are safe in Christ. And knowing we are safe in Christ, that is our motivation to go to the spiritual gym and start doing what he says in verse 5 of add to or supplement your faith. For this very reason, add to your faith. Again, ESV, supplement your faith. As somebody who did some sports science a few years ago, I tend to like the supplement your faith. I like that. See, Peter really understands the value of, the significance of faith. He doesn't just want people to have faith and call it a day. Peter knows that faith is a gift given to the believer that is a vehicle God uses to drive us into eternity. That's effectively how he describes it in different words in 1 Peter chapter 1. Faith is incredibly important. And he wants us to add to, he wants us to supplement our faith. And when you hear add to or supplement, you're probably hearing a lot of do this, that or the other. And we're talking here, of course, about not growing up or, or out. We're talking, here, we're talking here about spiritual growth. Have you ever Googled spiritual help? I did on Friday. I, I've preached this sermon before a few years ago. I did it last time the numbers is about six times higher now. I googled spiritual help on Friday and I had 532 million links come up. Please be assured I didn't look at them. <laughs> and fortunately we don't have to look at pages upon pages of Google stuff to figure out what we need to help ourselves in our spiritual life. Peter tells us. He says, add to your faith, and he tells us what it looks like. He talks about some qualities that the Christian should, must have. And he brings these into view. Now, when you look at lists, please don't look at this as boring. Please don't look at this as simplistic. Please don't look at this as something to forget, like me, with the groceries. This is important. This matters exciting they, these are to help us in the strengthening of our faith that we might stand with the lord in full confidence every single day they strengthen our faith for everyday life these qualities are an absolute spiritual gold mine if any of you have been listening to the um, the lectures on assurance of faith joel Beak talks about evidences of faith In his second lecture, where he talks about lack of assurance of faith. And he says that the fruits of the Spirit, the Beatitudes, and exactly what we read here in 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 7, these are evidences of grace. Now, I want to say before we get into these, before we look at them, perhaps you hear these today, and perhaps we realize shortcomings. Perhaps we realise we have a lot of work to do. In some ways, we should all look at these like that and realise that we do have a long way to go, that none of us have arrived. But we should also look at these and think about the ways that these have been evident in our lives. Because if we are saved by God, then these will be evident in some way or another. So don't be discouraged. Be encouraged by the work that God has done and then be challenged to grow these. We don't want to browbeat ourselves. We want to grow in godliness, acknowledging shortcomings, but trusting the Spirit to help us grow. As we're getting into them, we're, we're pressing on. We're pressing on. You are gods. He has called you from corruption. He has called you from decay and death. He has given you uh, and called you to his divine and eternal glory. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Diligently add to your faith while you do so. But for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. Now again, the goal is not to simply add these to a point we think we've reached that peak power. We've got our ultimate spiritual power, we can plateau there, These are to continue growing in each and every one of them. And remember that these in and of themselves are not the main focus. These are to supplement faith and are evidences of grace. These matter, but they cannot be separated from faith in Christ Jesus alone for salvation. We have to look at them in terms of that. So we get into this this list of qualities, and we first see here virtue. Uh, The dictionary will describe this as a high moral standard, or in the Greek, I think this is much better, shorter, moral excellence. That is what virtue is. This is the first thing we add to our faith, virtue, moral excellence. And if you think about it, that makes sense. We live for and we worship a holy God. We are called to be his ambassadors here on earth. How could we live with anything other than moral excellence in everything we do? It really makes sense. But we struggle. We struggle because we go through day-to-day events. We face times where it was easier to to cut corners. To try and get away with something because we're not going to get caught, are we? I've shared this illustration before of when Anna and I were first married. We were heading out for a dinner uh, with a friend And I was rushing. I think we were only going to arrive two minutes early, not five minutes early, so I was rushing. And I backed into a car parked behind our driveway. My first reaction, at the time I thought it was in my head, turns out I said it out loud, was, let's go, let's leg it. I remember Anna looking at me horrified. What sort of monster have I just married two weeks ago? And my first reaction is get out of there, act like it didn't happen. They won't know they're inside, it's night time, no one can see, there's no cameras, we'll be fine, we can get out of here, it's all good. But that's not moral excellence. You see, we face, maybe not backing into people's cars, we face situations where it's easy to cut corners. It's not always our instant reaction to to show and to demonstrate moral excellence but this is what we are called to do it's an important thing for us to do it's not optional peter tells us here black and white to be virtuous we are no longer in corruption we are no longer in deceit we are no longer slaves to sin so we should live the way that god has called us to live be virtuous have moral excellence again only comes through the work God does in our lives. We need to take every opportunity though to allow our faith to thrive through virtue being added to it rather than depriving our faith the opportunity to grow by ignoring those times where we should act with moral excellence. And then we look at the second quality here adding knowledge and we begin to see how These are are separate, but also feed into one another. I want to say as well, we can't just choose which of these qualities on this list we're going to have because we like that. that one comes more easily to me, so I'll have that one, but not that one. It's not that sort of list. We must have all of these. If we truly want to supplement our faith, we must have all of these. And if you think about it, they do feed into one another. Virtue, moral excellence can only get us so far. I said in a sermon at Kalinga Bible Talks a few years ago that faith results in morals, but morals do not result in faith. Morals in and of themselves can only get us so far. And for us to have moral excellence, we need to know a few things, don't we? We need to have knowledge of how to apply those things. We need to have knowledge of how to act in certain circumstances that will enable those morals to be excellent rather than just maybe okay. In my case, probably far less than okay. See, virtue will lead to seeking out knowledge. And again, knowledge is a big theme from verses uh, 3 to 11. But the knowledge that Peter's talking about here is not just knowing random facts. Now, this gave me an opportunity to Google interesting facts. Do you know that in 1673, New York in America was shortly known as New Orange when the Dutch took it from English control? Now, the English won it back and renamed it New York. Did you know that a proper chef's hat has 100 pleats on it? (laughs) Did you know that from the 1920s to the 1940s, painting was judged at the Olympics I actually googled 40 things that can make you look smart or 40 fun facts that can make you look smart in conversation was the link I went to there it's working isn't it (laughs) is that what Peter's talking about and the answer is no it's not what Peter's talking about it's not knowing random facts he's talking here about spiritual matters he's talking here about knowledge of God It's about knowledge of the one who has called us to his glory. And his glory, referenced in verse 3, is the Greek word doxa, which we sort of get our doxology from. But doxa, and is also used by Peter and in other parts of the New Testament as leaning on the Old Testament word which refers to God's majestic presence. See, this is a knowledge that we are meant to have, not just fun facts that we think make us look smart in conversation, knowledge of God, the one who is holy, the one whose majestic glory we are being called into the presence of. Virtue, apart from the majestic presence of God, simply is not enough. And when you hear of God's majestic presence and the glory there, why would we not want that? We should seek it out. Virtue leads to knowledge. Knowledge that we might be more aware, more understanding of the majestic presence and person of God that we might better reflect that in our lives. God's majesty is not tainted by corruption. As we read scriptures, we see more and more they're worth pursuing that we might honour and glorify God better. And the qualities, again, they keep building. The more you know, the more moral excellence you have, the more self-controlled you're going to be. The more self-controlled you're going to be, the more steadfast you're going to be the more steadfast you are. We remember James 1, which tells us that true stability only comes from God. Without him, we're like that a double-minded, almost a, a split personality man tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine that comes along. Steadfastness leads to godliness because true steadfastness is based on God alone. Godliness leads to brotherly affection, which then leads us to almost the the pinnacle of all of these, which is love. I say it's the, the pinnacle of all of these because if you take love out of the list, then these really become worthless. And on the other side of things... If you remove those other qualities and only have love, then you're left with something which is just vacuous. Doesn't really have much substance, does it? Without love, these can lead to coldness of duty. We can remove the fullness of the relational side to them. We must have these qualities, all of them, all of them leading to godly love. When we meet together to worship every Lord's Day, we focus our services on God. He, and He alone, is the object of our focus. Because the more we focus on Him, the better we will love each other. If we try to love God more by loving others, we fall short. By loving God most, we better love others. We cannot really love one another without loving God first. And if we love God, it's because He first loved us as we read in scripture so we should aim to have these qualities these evidences of grace because they're good things they are healthy things they are things that lead to more and more growth in our lord and saviour We should want to and desire to grow in our relationship with God. These things should stir up in us a faith that that wants to put him first more and more. And these qualities encourage that so that it might not just be for us, but also has clear evidences for those around us. That other Christians might look at us and, and be amazed at the work that God has done in our life. That those outside of the church might, might see us and go, what makes that person act that way? And perhaps even go beyond just asking the question, what makes that person act that way? And realise that only God can make a person act in such a way as these qualities encourage us to do. We should want to put God first more and more, and these qualities encourage us to do that. There may be times, I'm sure there are times, I've been there, where we can doubt our salvation. Circumstances, our own shortcomings, all sorts of things can get the better of us. And Peter starts this letter off by saying, don't doubt your salvation. God has done an incredible, and God has done an irrevocable, unchangeable work in our lives, that we are his forever, and nothing can take us from him. The call that he has placed on your life is confirmed and certain. And if by the help of God, we add to our faith these qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love, then we can and will be more and more certain of our calling and more and more ready to face whatever obstacles and whatever curveballs that we're going to face in the future. While there is work for us to do, while we may see shortcomings, while I see shortcomings in myself, looking at these things, I hope that, like me, you're excited to continue working through Second Peter. And I hope that that excitement isn't just about self-improvement. But I hope that that excitement is caused by the ability we have to know and understand and live as better reflectors of the majesty and work of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this amazing epistle of Second Peter. We thank you for just the beginning we have looked at today. And while perhaps we're going to leave here today thinking we have a lot of work to do, which would be a right thought to have, We pray that we might remember those things that you have already done in our lives that reflect these qualities, these evidences of grace that confirm that we are your children. And we pray that we might not seek to to add these things to our faith by our own strength or our own abilities, but may we always, always seek the help of your Holy Spirit to do this. Without his help, this task is futile with his help this is more than possible for us we pray that we might be humble before you and worked in by your spirit for your glory you ask us in christ's name